So I've been trying to film a little bit of just footage on my vlog camera every time I start one of these podcasts just because it's fun for me. This is like the genesis of a new thing that I'm doing and it's awesome. So all that to say, welcome or welcome back. I am so excited to be with you today. My name is Andy and this is Magic Through My Eyes. If this is your first time at the podcast, welcome. I am so excited to be talking with you today and thank you so much for stopping by the little podcast corner of my world because it is a small world after all. Same recording space, my closet, clothes on the left, shoes on the right. (laughs) I am just so grateful that you would come back and listen again. I was so thrilled to record my first episode, which was all about why I love Disney. So if you haven't listened to that one yet, it would be beneficial, I feel like, overall, just with the nature of this podcast. It gives a good groundwork of why I love Disney so much, um, because this podcast is all about the magic and the wonder of Disney from my perspective, hence the name Magic Through My Eyes. So today is episode number two. I am having the time of my life recording these podcasts, and I am so excited today to talk to you about my favorite place on Earth, and that is Disneyland. So I encourage you, get comfortable, get excited, think of the happiest of things, because today we're going to Disneyland. Grab maybe your favorite Disney park snack, basically anything Mickey-shaped, and get ready, because it's about to get nostalgic. So we are about to go on a very magical journey together. So if you can, close your eyes, take a deep breath, and use your greatest imagination to picture that you're entering through the turnstiles at the main entrance of Disneyland in Anaheim, California. You look behind you and you have the entrance to California Adventure, which we'll get to later. But today, we are about to walk into the happiest place on Earth. You have your ticket in hand and you hear the sound of the train whistle. And the next thing you know, the Disneyland Railroad is passing across the tracks right above your head. You approach the tunnel to enter Main Street, USA, and you read these words written above your head. Here you leave today and enter the world of yesterday, tomorrow, and fantasy. You take another deep breath and you walk through. The sights and sounds of Main Street flood your senses. Out of the corner of your eye, you see a huge rainbow-colored balloon bouquet gracefully towering over guests walking down the street. It looks like the house from up with the balloons all attached to it. It's the most magical thing. As you take another step and then another, I know for me, I always have this thought. This is such a special and unique place because this is the only park where we can say this. Walt Disney himself took these steps. He walked these streets. All of the magic and wonder of this place was inside this man's heart and his mind. And then he made it a real place for people like me to enjoy. Automatic tears. (laughs) 
So then you take a look or, well, let's say it's from my perspective now. So then I look to the left and I see the firehouse on Main Street. And above it, I see a small window with a lamp lit in the center. So if you don't know about this little space above the firehouse at Main Street, this window leads up to what was Walt Disney's personal apartment. And you can pay a lot of extra money to take this very special tour called the Walk and Waltz Footsteps Tour at Disneyland. And I and my sister did that once. And we actually got to step inside that apartment. And it is a like a time capsule. It's stuck in the 1960s and it's absolutely incredible. The apartment, it's totally frozen in time right there and the most special thing about it is this lamp in the center window. Now this window, or not the window, the lamp holds very deep significance. This was Walt's personal apartment whenever he decided to not go home at the end of the day. It was just easier to sleep in Anaheim. At, at this little, ho uh, not hotel, this little apartment he was able to build right above the firehouse at Disneyland. And so when he was there, he would always turn on this lamp. And if you saw, as a, a Disney cast member, if you saw that lamp lit, you knew Uncle Walt is here. Let's put our very best foot forward. And that's how they knew that he was around if he wasn't already walking around the parks. And after Walt passed away in 1966, the lamp was and still is turned on every day to serve as a reminder to every cast member to do their very best work and put their best foot forward because Uncle Walt is watching them. So I, at this point, I'll keep walking down Main Street and as I turn the corner, I see these beautiful rays of color. The beloved Sleeping Beauty Castle is right there before my eyes. I can't truly think of a more beautiful sight. It holds so many memories and stories of years and generations of families passing through its gates to experience even more magic that Disneyland has. And, I mean, this park served as the blueprint of all Disney parks that we now have around the world. And it's just crazy to think about. We're going to take a pause here from our virtual tour of Disneyland. So if you want, you can open your eyes. Or even if you didn't have your eyes closed this whole time, that's okay. So I'm taking a pause here to tell you guys a really special story. So in my first episode, I mentioned my inspiration for this podcast came from an artist that I love. His name is Sleeping at Last. Well, his artist name is Sleeping at Last. Ryan O'Neill is his real name. And years ago, he released this song called You Are Enough. It's on his Atlas Year One project on the EP Light, if you're wanting to check it out. And anyway, I had listened to this record for the very first time when I was recovering from a concussion. And concussion recovery is different for a lot of different people. But for me, it really took me out. So I had to be in a dark room. I couldn't look at my phone. I mean, when I first had my concussion. I couldn't even like read or write. Someone had to help me brush my teeth, walk me to the bathroom because I was just really dizzy. So I had to figure out a way to pass the time. And listening to music was the best way I could think of how to do it. And I had heard about this artist sleeping at last, and I had finally decided to listen to his Atlas record. And when the song You Are Enough came on, I instantly got this picture. It's a very happy, very almost ethereal feeling song 
and it is just so unique and so special. It's got a staccato type melody to it. It's all um, very strings given, uh, sorry, very strings driven, lots of violins, cellos, and all this beautiful stuff. And it it just has a very magical quality about it because it really reminds me of my favorite Disney soundtracks of all time, which are, you know, in the 90s where they had the big orchestral arrangements of these songs, you know, like The Little Mermaid and Pocahontas and, and things like that. So it took me back to that place. And I literally got a vision right there from from God um, because that is a very real thing. It sounds kind of intimidating, but basically all it is, it's just a very special picture that you can get in your mind. Sometimes it's just a still picture. It's like anything that you could imagine, but even better because the one who loves you the most gave it to you. And so it was, it actually was more like a film and it was me as a three-year-old little girl. So three-year-old Andy was much shorter than <laughs> I am now. I had dirty blonde hair and it was short and like wispy curly. And so, and I, I was a little chunky. I was one of those uh, chunky little toddlers and I loved it. But anyway, it, as soon as this song started, I got this picture of myself as a three-year-old little girl and there was just light beaming from everywhere. Um, it kind of reminds me of this scene in the Disney movie. It's called Saving Mr. Banks and it's when this young girl character, she has curly blonde hair. She's riding through this just huge open pasture horseback with her dad. And there's just like this very golden, like ethereal look of the way that the scene is shot. And that's how it felt to me. So I'm seeing this unfold and it's three-year-old me. And I know that I'm holding someone's hand and we are walking down Main Street at Disneyland. And it was just the most special thing. And so this song has a very, very special meaning for me. And anytime I think about walking down Main Street, I think about that moment that I saw myself as a three-year-old little girl. And I knew in that moment, I didn't even have to see a face. I was holding someone's hand and I knew it was God's. Um, like it's one of those classic Abba Father moments. And it was me in my favorite place ever. And it was just the most special thing. And the lyrics of the song, they talk about how you are enough. These little words, somehow they're changing us that uh, you are enough. And I just remember in that moment thinking like, wow, God loves me so much that he would package this moment that he would want to encounter me, but he would put me in my favorite setting ever which is Disneyland. So anyway, that's a little bit of a sidetrack. So back to, <laughs> let's imagine that we together, or if it's just you by yourself, we're walking through Disneyland. So let's keep going there. Honestly, at this point, so we're seeing the castle at this point. And for me, I am usually crying and or giggling with delight because I am in my happy place. This is a total personal plug here, but I have a couple of Disneyland vlogs on my YouTube channel. Um, so and one of the vlogs captures this moment of me getting to see the Disneyland castle for the first time in several years. And I just I loved that trip so much. So if you want to check that out, do so. I will leave a link in the show notes to my YouTube channel so you guys can see that if you want. But anyway, crying, giggling del with delight because I'm so happy. And if you keep going down Main Street, my favorite place to stop, it's right at the corner on the left. The corner on the right now is my husband's favorite place to visit, which is the big 
like corn dog food stand, that's his favorite spot. But if you go just directly left instead of right, you will find my favorite restaurant on Disney property. Huge shocker here. It is the Jolly Holiday Bakery and Cafe. It is the most practically perfect eating establishment in existence. I somewhat mentioned it. I had a quick little mention of Mary Poppins in my first episode, but totally forgot to tell you guys, Mary Poppins is my favorite movie of all time. So (laughs) this is a very special place. And it's just full of yummy treats and it's a little bakery and they've got soup and sandwiches. It's so unique. It's the only one of its kind in Disney parks across the world. And there's freshly baked macarons and there's so many little pastries. But my favorite thing to get is the Practically Perfect Punch, which is a very yummy pomegranate punch, and then the Jolly Holiday Special, which is a toasted cheese sandwich with tomato basil soup. It is divine. And it's so fun to walk through the line queue at this restaurant because you go inside and it's, I mean, it's not just Mary Poppins. So it, when I think Mary Poppins, a lot of times it's easy for me to think dark colors, um, like the gloomy London sky. But this is totally different because it's the jolly holiday. So it's like you're jumping into the chalk pavement picture and you're seeing these bright colors, whites and pinks and yellows and deep red. And there are these beautiful little trinkets um, in display windows in the line queue with Mary Poppins on the carousel horse and and just these sweetest little things. There are stained glass windows and in the stained glass, it's the penguins, the penguin waiters. And it's, oh, it's just the sweetest thing. And so there are just all these fun collectibles and things that you see. And then you just close your eyes and listen and you hear the melody in an orchestral arrangement of your favorite songs, Chim Chim Cheree, A Spoonful of Sugar, Jolly Holiday, whatever it is. And it's the most amazing thing. So don't forget the Jolly Holiday Special, toasted cheese sandwich and tomato basil soup, and then the practically perfect punch. You won't regret it. So this is the beginning of my dream walkthrough at Disneyland. Of course, that is only scratching the surface of the magic. Walt Disney was a brilliant, brilliant man. And when he was designing Disneyland, he wanted it to be like its own almost like its own city in a sense. And he took a lot of inspiration from cities like Paris that had a main hub and then broke off into different parts of the city. And that's how he wanted Disneyland to be. So you've got the main hub with what's called the partner statue, which is just a few paces in front of the Sleeping Beauty Castle. And from there, you have several different places you can go. You've got Tomorrowland to your right, Fantasyland through the castle straight ahead. To your left, you've got Frontierland, and then a little further to your left is Adventureland. And there's even more places to explore after that, but those are the main ones that you can start with. And this is why I love the design of Disneyland because it it's very circular, and so it almost feels like it doesn't end because it's not like a house that has four corners, you know, you reach a spot that's a dead end. With Disneyland, it goes more in a circle. So that way, you can just keep going. And I just, I love that. So we're going into a little bit of history here. Walt Disney, he never stopped dreaming. And, you know, at the pinnacle of his career, at the top of his game in the 1950s, he started getting bored. And... (laughs) 
<laughs> See, that's that's so thrilling to me to think about um, um, a man who built this empire with all of these films. He was doing live action films. He was the one with the movie Fantasia to basically design the very first implementation of surround sound. So basically he started that. He was the first one to make what we now have as like nature films. He did that. And of course, all the animated films in the 1950s was when we got classics like Alice in Wonderland, Cinderella, Peter Pan, top of this man's game. And he's like, I want to do something different. When his daughters were young, he would take them to an amusement park on the weekends, but there was only entertainment for the kids. He ended up just sitting on a bench while he watched his girls ride the carousel or play carnival games, and he would just sit there eating peanuts. And then he had a wacky idea. He thought, what if he could create a place where kids and parents could enjoy themselves together? And not even separately, but a collaborative family experience with magic. And thus started a whole new industry of entertainment, which is theme parks, amusement parks. All of this was started with Walt Disney. He was able to purchase some land in Anaheim, California, which just used to be orange groves. It's totally different. It, it's totally different now from what it was back then. And it, Anaheim was just like this little rink-a-dink place. No one thought of it was... I don't know, without traffic, probably like 45 minutes outside the main part of Los Angeles. And that's where he decided to break ground on Disneyland. And he hired architects to design the project, but they weren't giving him what he wanted. So he ended up turning to his artists at the animation studio, and they became a new class of employees that Walt affectionately referred to as Imagineers. They combined imagination and technical know-how to take stories that we once read on a page or watched in a movie, and they made them tangible and real, places that we could walk that we could see, that we could smell, that we could touch. And we weren't, at that point, just going to be spectators. We were going to be part of the stories. So Main Street USA was inspired by Walt Disney's hometown of Marceline, Missouri. Of course, it isn't an exact copy. It's just a little more fantastical. But that's where the idea came from, because he wanted to go back to his childhood roots to create this pretty much, like... I don't want to call it eternal, but basically eternal childhood spot. And they took the classic buildings of Marceline, but they sprinkled pixie dust on them to create the perfect, colorful Disneyland version. And here's a fun thing. If you walk down the street and you pause for a moment, you'll notice all the different messages painted on the glass and the windows and the doors on these buildings in Main Street. There's a window on Main Street dedicated to Walt Disney's father, Elias Disney. There's a door dedicated to the Sherman Brothers. The door says, two brothers tune makers will write tunes for your song or will write tunes for a song. Or there's a window dedicated to Frank Wells, one of the company's presidents. These windows and doors speak to the impeccable detail put into all the Disney parks, but especially Disneyland, because this is where it all began. And I am really lucky and I'm hoping to bring her on the podcast sooner than later. But one of my best friends in the world is actually an employee at Disney. I should say a cast member at Walt Disney World. She works for the mouse himself. And she talks about how Disneyland is seen with stut with a total like, what am I trying to say? 
it's seen in a very prestigious way. And basically, when it comes at least to the entertainment world, because that's where she's been for the majority of her employment there, um, people will train at Disney World and get all of their experience, and then they'll get to go to Disneyland to work. They, Even the employees a- across the company, they treat it as the special place that it is. And I just think that that's really special, and because it can be seen as older, and because of that, not as fantastic, it's not as big, but even within the company, there's a I don't want to say reverence, but I'm having a hard time thinking of another word to describe like how people see it. So when you go to Disneyland, it can sometimes be overwhelming. There are literally new things to look at every place that you turn. So this is why the idea of splitting the park into different lands is absolutely genius. I talked a little bit about that with the design of Disneyland with a hub and then being in like kind of a circle with the design. But here are all the lands. Fantasyland, Tomorrowland, Adventureland, Frontierland, Critter Country, New Orleans Square, Mickey's Toontown, and Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. Now, this will come as a big shock to all you Disney people. (laughs) My favorite land is Fantasyland, but I truly love each one. They're all so unique and they express their own character and their own quirks and I just love it. So if we're talking about somewhat of a itinerary kind of thing, this is this is kind of where we get into it. So here we go. So the first land I usually like to go to after I walk through Main Street USA is Adventureland or Fantasyland. And if I'm going the Adventureland route, I go straight for fast passes for the Indiana Jones adventure and then I will walk through Tarzan's treehouse and take a ride through the jungle with the witty skippers aboard the Jungle Cruise. Adventureland is a great place to start and people hate on it because they well I say they my husband is one of them who talks about the enchanted tiki room. He calls it a great nap. And I think that that is rude, number one. And number two, yes, it's a great place to relax, but it's also excellent entertainment. Because when you walk through Adventureland, the Enchanted Tiki Room is the very first thing you see. And then as you keep walking, um, you get to a a new restaurant that opened, which I still haven't gotten to see yet, but I can't wait, is the Tropical Hideaway, which is right with the Enchanted Tiki Room, because that's actually one of the lyrics in the Tiki Room song. Um, How does it go? It says, welcome to a tropical hideaway, you lovely people, you. If we weren't in the show starting right away, we'd be in the audience too. It's the cutest song ever. So anyway, you'll walk through there. And then there's some souvenir shops, but I really love going through Tarzan's Treehouse. Now, Tarzan's Treehouse wasn't originally that. It was originally the Swiss Family Robinson Treehouse. It was at Disneyland starting in the early 1960s. It was based on the movie that Walt Disney did, based on the book, The Swiss Family Robinson, and later was replaced with Tarzan's Treehouse. Now, a little bit of Disneyland history for you. Disneyland opened on July 17th, 1955, and all the employees refer 
I got to stop saying employees. All the cast members refer to that day as Black Sunday. It was crazy. There were gas leaks and the pavement wasn't fully dried. And so women's heels were getting stuck in in the pavement while they were walking. So many things went wrong that day, but they made it. And from there, they received lots of criticism because there were unfinished projects and all of these different things. And Walt Disney responded and he said, I hope I'm quoting this correctly. Disneyland will never be complete as long as there's imagination left in the world. And that's how I see it even now. So I used to get real upset if Disneyland changed at all because I wanted it to just stay what it was. But by having this spirit of constant imagination, not only is it always new, it's not so reverential that it can't be changed. And I think that that's really cool. So back to Tarzan's treehouse. Before all that happened, they were actually going to get rid of the Swiss Family Robinson treehouse altogether and just get rid of that area within Adventureland. But then the Imagineers came together and decided, what if we take advantage of this new movie, Tarzan, and that has a huge, like, treehouse scene and just create a new walkthrough attraction with it and that's exactly what they did and so they were able to preserve in perfect memory this beautiful attraction that had been there since the 60s but put a whole new story with it and welcome in a whole new generation of families and kids who love the story of Tarzan and I really love Tarzan's treehouse. You can walk through and you you're surrounded by the beautiful music of Phil Collins There's this meme that went around and I a thousand percent agree that, oh goodness, what does he say? It it says something like, you know, Phil Collins didn't have to go so hard on the Tarzan soundtrack, but he did. He did that for us. And that's how I feel about the music of Tarzan. So anyway, you're surrounded by the sights and the sounds of the jungle, um, you know, the monkeys screeching or whatever it is. And then you also have the the beautiful melodies of the songs from the movie itself. And it's amazing. And it's just such a fun, totally all immersive experience. And that's the really fun thing about Adventureland is because of the nature around it, the nature of the literal nature, it seems like all the attractions are connected because it's all jungle. So you've got the Jungle Cruise, which of course has like lots of trees and bushes and all this stuff around it and all of that landscape just bleeds directly into the Indiana Jones adventure and then right next to that is Tarzan's treehouse so it's really cool to see how everything kind of blends all together and that is such a fun place to start your day because it's not too overwhelming there aren't as many attractions it's usually not as busy except for the line outside of indiana jones adventure which is why you grab fast passes and you don't have to worry about it now i understand we now live in a world where fast passes don't exist and there's this new thing called genie plus but for nostalgia's sake and also because i haven't been back to disneyland since all of that changed I'm going to remember it as I know it. And that experience includes fast passes. So I just wanted to add in that disclaimer that today's walkthrough tour of Disneyland will include fast passes. So anyway, Adventureland is a great place to start. My favorite, besides Jolly Holiday Cafe, one of my favorite restaurants on property is in Adventureland. It's called the Bengal Barbecue. And 
you can get all these yummy grilled kebabs and just deliciousness. So I guess we'll just keep going. So one of my favorite things to do after I go through Adventureland is to sneak through because there's this back entrance. If you keep following Adventureland past Tarzan's treehouse, you'll end up in New Orleans Square, which is a very special part of Disneyland. It was one that wasn't completed until after Walt Disney had passed away. And so in a sense, it was really dedicated to him. And all of that bleeds into, well, I say bleeds, but like in a good way, it all flows is a better way to say it, into this very Americana part of Disneyland um, with the rivers of America. There's this beautiful steamboat um, that goes through that uh, wonderful little lake they have there. And then right next to New Orleans Square is Frontierland, which is all about, you know, cowboys versus Indians and the great wild west and all of that. And I think that that's, that's really fun and really cool. And they do it in a, in a very classy way. Um, my favorite attraction in, not Frontierland, we'll get there, in New Orleans Square is Pirates of the Caribbean. So we're going to get nerdy here for a sec. I mean, if we weren't already nerdy, it's about to get way, way nerdy. And <laughs> I never really loved the Pirates of the Caribbean attraction as a younger kid. It really scared me, honestly. I was pretty easily spooked as a kid. And so even the thought of, you know, passing on a boat in these gullies or whatever you want to call it, um, with these skeletons just hanging around. That was terrifying to me. But I remember starting to write it again once I got older. And I was like, you know what? I think I can actually do this. And so I remember writing it and it was like, fine. But I wasn't like super blown away by it either. But as I got older and Disney gifted us with this streaming service, Disney Plus. And on there is an original series called The Imagineering Story, which is honestly where I'm getting a lot of this historical like background on Disneyland and all this stuff. And they talk a lot about this attraction and why it was this huge groundbreaking innovation. And I was like, I don't get it because it was so boring to me as a kid. I mean, you literally just like go through this underground city where all of these pirates are pillaging and all this crazy stuff. And I never I, I was more scared by it than anything. And so now having watched the Imagineering story more times than I can count <laughs> and hearing about pirates and why it was such a huge deal, I really have this newfound respect for the attraction. So basically, it was this incredible not only was it a ride, it was a story. And it not only was a story, it was lots of stories unfolding around you. And there was a man by the name of Xavier Atencio. Everyone called him X. He was an Imagineer. And he was commissioned with writing the dialogue for Pirates of the Caribbean. And he got to work and then he started getting nervous or second guessing himself. And he said, I hope I'm not writing too much dialogue. And Walt Disney actually spoke to him about it. And Walt said, don't think of it like that. Think of it as a big cocktail party. And where, you know, lots of conversations would be happening all at the same time. And not just one conversation, but maybe dozens of conversations with lots of different characters and people. And so it's just fun to think about that every time that I ride the attraction, I could be hearing and seeing something completely new, which is 
very unique. And obviously we can say that about many experiences that we have, whether watching movies or different attractions. But Pirates is special and unique because there are just so many attractions and characters and it just adds to the magic of it all. <laughs> and if you take a look at the costumes in this attraction, they are so skillfully made and totally to the time period and the setting that they were trying to go for. And it's really incredible to see how much innovation went into this. And what sets it apart from other Disney attractions is just how immersive the experience is. And especially the Disneyland version is very special. If you haven't gotten to ride it, I'm not going to tell you about the whole thing. Um, but it starts with these boats because it's a, like a boat ride. And they go through this restaurant which is like, what? But there is a restaurant in New Orleans Square called the Blue Bayou. And there's like some special seating that's inside the attraction of Pirates of the Caribbean. And so you can sit there and eat at the restaurant and watch the boats go by. And it's like a very, you know, New Orleans, Louisiana swamp kind of feel. And, and so anyway, that's how it starts. And then you dip a couple of times, a couple levels down. And then you get to see the attraction. So when you think about it, it really is an underground attraction. So here's a little pro tip. If you're riding one of those attractions, um, Pirates is one. The Indiana Jones Adventure is another one that's underground. Put your phone on airplane mode because it'll drain your battery trying to find service if you're on the ride. So that's just a little pro tip. You can save your battery a little bit by doing that. So anyway, I love riding pirates because of just the groundbreaking innovation of an attraction that it was, especially when it came out in the early 60s. And even the adjustments that they've made throughout the years. I mean, after. OK, and here's the thing. This is what we're going to talk about. The attraction literally has its own film franchise. And not only is it a film franchise, it's a very successful film franchise. The Pirates of the Caribbean films are. I mean, I've only seen the first three out of five. And people are like, Andy, you call yourself a Disney fan? I know, I'm working on it. But especially the first film, oh my gosh. Like there are so many moments in that story that you can pick out as specific scenes on the attraction. And it's incredible. And I, I loved getting to watch the film for that reason. And so anyway, like this, I mean, I know for me, I probably wouldn't have known who Johnny Depp was without pirates so it was like a, a huge groundbreaking thing for his career and many others like I mean Orlando Bloom Kira Knightley that's just a couple people who were in that film um if okay so here's another little nerd thing if you're wanting some like fun behind the scenes stuff on Pirates of the Caribbean the the Bla Curse of the Black Pearl that's what the first movie's called there is this docuseries on Disney plus called oh darn what is it called Prop culture, P-R-O-P culture, and it's about movie props. And the host of the show goes to the island in the Caribbean where they filmed Pirates of the Caribbean. And also people may ask me, why do you call it Caribbean and then Pirates of the Caribbean? Because I just can't say Pirates of the Caribbean. It just doesn't sound right to me. So anyway, <laughs> if you want some like fun info on like props and some fun behind the scenes stuff about uh, Curse of the Black, Black Pearl, watch that. And it's amazing. So thinking back at the attraction itself, they've done a lots of lots of additions over the years. And one of those being adding Jack Sparrow into the Pirates attraction, because 
Jack Sparrow's character originated with the films, not the attraction. And so, and I've heard, I haven't ever been there to see it in real life, but sometimes Johnny Depp will go in as Jack Sparrow and be in the attraction and will talk to guests. And it happened several years ago. I think it was around the time of the premiere of the last Pirates movie that was released. And he was in there for a day at Disneyland. And I remember seeing videos of it and totally like freaking out because I thought it was so cool. And all the people who were riding the attraction were like, oh, my gosh, it's like Jack Sparrow. And so anyway, that's a that's a fun little tidbit. That would be like a crazy bucket list thing for me to get to see him in there. So anyway, Pirates is incredible and is such a fun attraction. And now I've spent so much time talking about it. Sorry, not sorry. This is like some of my favorite stuff to talk about ever. So that's my favorite thing about New Orleans Square. Um, When it comes to nighttime entertainment on the Rivers of America is my favorite Disney Parks show ever. It's called Fantasmic. And that will probably get its own podcast episode. So I'm not really going to go into that now. But if you're at Disneyland, stick around and watch Fantasmic. Best decision of your day. So if we keep going, let's, hmm, I can't decide if I want to go left or right. If we go left, we go to Critter Country. Let's do that. So if you go left, you're going to go to Critter Country, which has uh, changed over the years, but that's what it is now currently. And in Critter Country, the highlight attraction is Splash Mountain, which will be getting a whole new theming Um I don't know when they're going to start that process at Disneyland, but it's being totally rethemed to Princess and the Frog. So it'll still be basically the same bones of the attraction, but the theming of it will be different because currently the theming is Song of the South. I forgot to mention my favorite thing besides pirates to do in New Orleans Square. There's this small little kind of like a pop-up restaurant kind of thing as you get closer to closer to critter country it's called the mint julep bar and that is where you can get the classic mint julep drink and mickey beignets and oh my heavens if you've never tasted mickey beignets you haven't lived completely i like obviously you've lived a great life i'm sure but your life will be a million times better after tasting mickey beignets they're just soft and pillowy it's like eating a sweet doughy cloud and it's it's just remarkable so if you keep going to critter country then you can ride splash mountain which of course is a classic i love splash mountain and i have sweet memories with my family riding that together and it's it's like the perfect amount of wetness that you get like some people get dumped on but I've never been hardcore dumped on like water wise on Splash Mountain but I think it's such a fun ride and I just I think that little corner of the park is so fun so if you keep going into Critter Country you will get to a family favorite of ours which is the Winnie the Pooh attraction and you can meet Tigger and Pooh there we've gotten to do that before and that's just really really fun and one of my favorite things about Disneyland is because of that design of being in a circle you can stop at a train station at any point and ride the 
Disneyland Railroad anywhere around the park that you want. And I just love that. So anyway, that's a little bit about that side of the park. And oh yeah, so let's turn around and go back to Frontierland. So if you go to Frontierland, my favorite attraction there is the Big Thunder Mountain Railroad, which I believe was designed in the 1970s. And it's based off of Utah's Price Canyon and was designed by none other than amazing Disney Imagineer Tony Baxter. It is such a fun attraction. You go in basically a mine train almost and you have this wild west adventure. I literally have a Disneyland mug with me right now and the phrase on it about Big Thunder Mountain says the wildest ride in the wilderness and oh golly it's just so fun and it's a great attraction and if you watch the Imagineering story they've got a really special like souped up version of it at Disneyland Paris and you best believe that's another like Disney Parks bucket list thing is to ride the Disneyland Paris version of uh, Big Thunder Mountain Railroad so I love that and now this is newer Disneyland talk for me because I've only gotten to visit it once but if you go past Frontierland you will find Star Wars Galaxy's Edge and oh my heavens it's such an incredible experience. I grew up watching Star Wars movies. I was actually one of those who didn't start with the original trilogy. I started with The Phantom Menace and grew up with those films and then along the way discovered the original trilogy. We had this VHS box set of the original three and I thought that that was just the coolest. So that's how I first watched them as a kid. And so we've always enjoyed Star Wars. I'm not super knowledgeable on Star Wars as some of my friends are. Um, Even my brother-in-law has incredible knowledge on Star Wars stuff. And, you know, my information that I have compared to him is like very small. But we all got to go there together the uh, late winter, early spring. It was February of 2020. We all got to go to Galaxy's Edge together when we went to Disneyland when my then boyfriend proposed to me. So anyway, we were at Disneyland and we got to go to Galaxy's Edge. And I don't want to give away any spoilers to those who haven't gotten to visit. I'm sure you've seen photos or whatever it is. If you watch the Imagineering story, you've definitely seen content from the Galaxy's Edge. But there is such an immersive quality about that land. It's it's such a unique design. And the Imagineers at Disney a thousand percent outdid themselves on the whole land. Um, it's just incredible. Like I remember when we were there and my brother-in-law was just chilling out or something. And Ray, like Ray from episode seven through nine comes out and just starts talking to him. And at first he didn't realize who it was. And then he turned and he was just totally starstruck and shocked in the moment and so she would just go around and talk to people um same with r2d2 he would be you know just rolling around and all this stuff um and then there were lots of stormtroopers out and all of these stories are around my brother-in-law because he's like the the big star wars nerd out of all of us and by the way i never mentioned his name his name's joseph and he's awesome and (laughs) he would get really sassy with all of the stormtroopers and I just remember at one point one of those stormtroopers just looking at him and not knowing like I think in the moment the stormtrooper didn't quite know what to say but then he just paused and then he just looked at him and said I'm gonna keep my eye on you or something like that and we all just 
busted up laughing. It was so fun. Uh, so, and then you get to see the Millennium Falcon to scale. It's the coolest piece of junk I've ever seen. And it's just so, so fun. And they have all of these different souvenir shops and restaurants, and they designed it to be like a big bazaar. And it's, it's incredible. They have two attractions there. They've got the Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run, I believe is what it's called. And then Rise of the Resistance. Smuggler's Run is definitely fun, but the cream of the crop tip of the top attraction is rise of the resistance and if you want to talk about an immersive place like talking about an immersive attraction it's like they took what the imagineers the spirit behind pirates of the caribbean and like that immersive experience and took it to a whole new level the attraction is more than 20 minutes long from start to finish and it's just an incredible design and it, it it's so fun i'm so glad that we got to ride that attraction because we almost didn't but um because our flights actually got canceled we got to stay an extra day at disneyland so that's how we ended up getting to ride the attraction so that was so special and i remember exiting the attraction and it had only been open for a couple of weeks at this point and walking out of that attraction back into galaxy's edge it was like oh my gosh like i'm not just looking at this world i'm part of this world and it was oh it was so incredible and i loved it so if we keep going i'm going a little bit out of order so we're going to go from galaxy's edge to my favorite we're going to go to Fantasyland. so Fantasyland is the place where all of the attractions from our favorite disney movies exist that's where you're going to find dumbo the flying elephant it's where you're going to find the carousel peter pan's flight um, the mad tea party the teacup ride all of these special attractions are right there the matterhorn all of these amazing things. One of my very favorite attractions is a lot of times people will call it boring or, you know, just kind of lame in comparison to other attractions, but it's a boat ride and it's called the Storybook Land Canal Boats. And Storybook Land, you get inside a little boat and you go with a cast member and they're they're narrating this whole story for you. And basically what it is, is um, you're going through this whole little land that they've constructed on a boat and Tinkerbell has gone through and used her pixie dust to make all of these special places miniatures. So you get to see Cinderella's castle, but on a miniature scale or the houses of the three little pigs. Um, the castle from Arendelle and Frozen is in that ride. What else? Um, oh yes, the palace in Agrabah and so many other special Disney places. I think the little village in Pinocchio is in that ride, and it's been a while since I've ridden it, so I'm trying to remember all of it. And then uh, one of the very last things you'll see is the castle from The Little Mermaid, uh, Prince Eric's castle. And then um, you'll see a little bit of Atlantis, um, or I'm sorry, not Atlantis, Atlantica, which is the under, under the sea King Triton's kingdom. So it's such a fun attraction and it's very magical. And what's really special about it is there's actually another attraction in the middle of it. It's the 
Casey Jr. Circus Train, which is from Dumbo. There's that song, Casey Jr.'s coming down the track. If you've ever heard that before. So it's the literal Casey Jr. train and you can ride it around Fantasyland and you actually, the track goes through the middle of the Storybook Land Canal Boats attraction. So it's really fun riding both of those because you almost feel like you get to ride both attractions twice, which is just really magical and really fun. So that's my favorite Fantasyland attraction. Of course, I love Peter Pan's flight because that has been around since day one of Disneyland. So that's been one of the few rides that's been there since 1955. The carousel is one of those. Uh, Mr. Toad's Wild Ride is another attraction that's been there since opening day. But I've loved how Fantasyland has changed over the years. Several years ago when we went, um, there was like a, a special part of the park that or special part of Fantasyland that was Frozen themed where you could do a meet and greet and see Anna and Elsa. That is long gone now, but it's just fun to see how it changes over the years. Again, going back to that Disneyland will never be complete as long as there's imagination left in the world. One of my favorite new additions to Fantasyland is a restaurant. It's called the Red Rose Tavern. And the Red Rose Tavern is all themed after Beauty and the Beast. And I know this is another plug, but I do film lots of footage from that in one of my vlogs on my YouTube channel. So if you want to take a look at that, it's a super fun spot. And one of my favorite details of it is they have these stained glass. I mean, they're not windows in the restaurant, but they're basically stained glass windows that they just have framed and put on the wall. And it's they are exact replicas of the stained glass that is at the beginning and the end of Beauty and the Beast. And it's oh, my gosh, it's stunning. And my favorite memory from that place was when my sister and I went on our very first Disney trip, just the two of us, and we had decided to do this because our grandma and her sisters go on these yearly sister trips, and we decided we want to get in on that. So we decided, though, we wanted to do Disney style. So this was our first one, and we were at Disneyland, and we had never been to the Red Rose Tavern, and we were so excited to go. And so it's a quick service restaurant, so it's like, you know, burgers and sandwiches, salads, that kind of thing. But they have this dessert there, which all the Disney people know as the gray stuff after the lyric in Be, uh, not Beauty and the Beast, in Be Our Guest, where Lumiere says, try the gray stuff. It's delicious. Don't believe me. Ask the dishes. So we get our dessert with the gray stuff. And the gray stuff, it's this yummy, creamy topping on, I think it was a raspberry cupcake. But it's, it's amazing. And it tastes kind of like cookies and cream. So it gives you that really nice gray color. And I remember as soon as we sat down to start eating the gray stuff in the restaurant, the song Be Our Guest came on. And so I have it in, in the vlog that I posted on my YouTube channel. There is a moment <laughs> where we we decided to wait to eat, to eat the gray stuff until Lumiere sang the line, try the gray stuff, it's delicious. Um, that whole thing, that was a really bad Lumiere impression. But anyway, we did that and it was... It was such a fun experience. It was magical. It was, I mean, it was delicious. And if you don't believe me, ask the dishes. Sorry for the puns. It, get used to it around here. <laughs> so, oh goodness, I'm trying to think of all my favorite things about Fantasyland. The Mad Tea Party. Oh my gosh. I mean, nothing more classic than that. It's just so fun. And I love getting to 
just experience that ride. It's so fun. It makes for excellent photos. And uh, we have moments from our vlog on there because it's just so fun and it's so sweet. The carousel is really special. And if you've seen the movie Saving Mr. Banks, you know that there is a very special carousel horse on the Disneyland uh, version of the carousel. It's called King Arthur's Carousel. And there is a very special horse on there. It is a white horse and it's got bells along its um, saddle. And the horse is named Jingles. And according to Saving Mr. Banks, Walt Disney says in the film, this is my wife, like Mrs. Disney's favorite horse. And I, after I had seen Saving Mr. Banks, I was so excited to go back to Disneyland and ride Jingles. And I have now had the opportunity to ride Jingles several different times, and it's so magical. And what I didn't realize until I had gotten to ride it is that I, I don't know the exact research on it, um, but it's in some way dedicated to Mary Poppins because there is a beautifully painted silhouette of Mary Poppins on the saddle and also J.A., the initials for Julie Andrews. So this is a very special horse to me because it's like my favorite movie ever. And it's just it was so fun getting to ride that for the first time. There's this video that I posted on my Instagram years ago of me riding jingles and just I looked like a five year old having her best day ever because I was, except I was like 20. <laughs> so that is just such a fun thing. And I've gotten the opportunity to ride jingles a good amount of times since then. And it's always my goal if I can get to the front of the line and be one of the first people on the carousel when they open it up for people to start riding. Um, I always try to ride jingles if I can. So that's always special for me. I mean, Peter Pan's flight is as good as it gets when it comes to classic Disney attractions. I mean, you're literally flying in a pirate ship and they've done different renovations on it and like a rehashing, but they haven't changed the integrity of the original attraction that opened on opening day in 1955. They've just added some different technologies to enhance the experience, like some video projections and uh, just different fun things like that. So it's, I mean, it's a classic. You've got to ride Peter Pan's flight if you've never done it before. So that's kind of my go-tos for Fantasyland. Um, I enjoy the Matterhorn. It's not my favorite attraction ever, but there is so much fun history behind the Matterhorn. It's the first roller coaster designed of its kind, which is um, like what is now modern day roller coasters. I believe it's called tubular roller coasters. And the designers in Imagineering were the very first ones. Uh, they basically came up with this version of a roller coaster. The main designer on the project, Bob Gurr, he loved cars and had so much fun designing all of the different roller coaster cars for the attraction. And he said that he had to learn trigonometry to figure out all of the complexities because they have several different roller coaster cars going at once. And so... That's a that's a super fun little bit to watch. I think it's on episode one of the Imagineering story. But anyway, so that's always a fun attraction to see, too. And then if you keep going behind Fantasyland before you hit Mickey's Toontown, which is adorable, by the way, it's so fun to just walk through. You can walk through Mickey Mouse's house. You can walk through Minnie's house. Um, there's the Who Framed Roger Rabbit attraction in there that I've actually never ridden, but I really want to. And... But before you get there, there is 
the classic It's a Small World, which is just a beautiful attraction. It actually didn't originate at Disneyland. Um, For years after Disneyland opened, Walt Disney and his team would do presentations at the New York World's Fair, and they started kind of testing out attractions there before they even came to Disneyland. So one of those was the Carousel of Progress, and It's a Small World was another. And so this kind of ties back to the very first episode of my podcast when I talked about Sleeping at Last's cover of It's a Small World. He talked about in there the stories of Richard and Robert Sherman. They were asked to write a song for this attraction. Now, the whole concept of It's a Small World was originally this attraction called Children of the World. And the idea was you would get in a boat and you would go through each nation. And when you got to the different nations, the children of that nation would sing their national anthem. Again, it's a great idea on paper, but horrible in practice, because what ended up happening was there was just this, they described it as this cacophony, like it nothing meshed and all of the sounds clashed. And so Walt Disney asked the boys, as they're referred to affectionately, um, to write a song, write one song that could be translated into multiple languages And that's exactly what they did. And they came up with this concept of how the world is small and it's kind of where they got stuck. And so that's where the title and the whole theme of the song came from. And so what's so cool is when you ride through this attraction, you will hear the same melody, but you will hear it in different languages. And it creates this really cool unifying experience, but it's also very unique and is ever-changing as you're riding through the attraction. So I just think that that's something so unique and beautiful about it. And Small World is definitely one that is quite dear to my heart. And it's, yeah, it's just awesome. And even from the design side, like, it's, it's just beautiful and amazing. And there is an Imagineer. Her name is Mary Blair. She was an incredible just designer and she actually started in animation. The concept artwork for Cinderella, it was done by her. She had a way of putting colors together that didn't make sense. They've even said that she just threw out the color wheel and just put together what she wanted to and created these incredible designs with just incredible uses of color, very contemporary, very clean lines, all this stuff. So she was put as the lead designer for It's a Small World, and it's beautiful and so vibrant in color. And they also have this beautiful facade at the Disneyland version. It's white and gold, and it's just, it's so eclectic and so fun. And basically, Mary Blair designed it, and then Rolly Crump, who was another Imagineer, he did some interviews on the Imagineering story and and just spoke so highly of Mary Blair, and he basically fabricated what she would design and so they worked together to create the it's a small world facade and it's it's gorgeous it is a work of art it's they combine like different elements of 
design from of architecture of different parts of the world and then they bring it all together and then with the unifying colors of the white and the gold and as they were designing it Walt Disney snuck in an idea and he said hey it would be great if there was a clock and they agreed and so there is at a big clock in it and every hour it chimes there are these little children of you know different nations of the world who come out and it's basically like a little carousel of kids from different nations in the world and it's so fun so that's just the way that you get invited into the attraction then you get into your boat and you sit and you you know just start going through the water and then you just hear that that timeless melody of it's a world of laughter it's a world of tears a world of hopes and a world of fears there's so much that we share and it's time that we're aware it's a small world after all Oh, I just love it so much. (laughs) And another thing that I really love about Disneyland is because it's a little smaller, it's a little more cozy, it's easier to, to find where you are. And of course, the easiest way to find where you are if you've gotten lost is to just look for the hub, look for the castle, and then locate that uh, beautiful statue is called the partner statue of Walt holding Mickey's hand and you're right there in the center of the park and then from there you can find exactly where you need to go because the rest of the lands all branch out kind of like the spokes on a wheel Um, it all starts there at the partner statue and I think that that's really special so picture with me that you are looking at the Disneyland castle and we decide to go far right or if we're going from it's a small world because Disneyland kind of moves in a circle you're just going to keep going past the Matterhorn and you will get to Tomorrowland. Now Tomorrowland if you're going to the front of that land you will see this beautiful it's a sculpture but it's also technically an attraction the sculpture originated at Disneyland Paris it's called the Orbitron and it is at Disneyland an attraction called the Astro Orbiter it's basically Dumbo the flying elephant but with spaceships and it's I actually haven't ever ridden it which is crazy to think about but it's just lovely to look at So the Astro Orbiter welcomes you into Tomorrowland. And then from there, there's lots of fun stuff to explore, like Star Tours. It's a classic attraction. And it was actually the very first Disney attraction ever to be themed to a non-Disney movie. Back when Star Tours opened, that was much much before Disney's acquisition of Lucasfilm. That has only happened in the last 10 years or so. And so it was a big deal that George Lucas and at the time CEO of Disney was Michael Eisner partnered up and created this incredible attraction. Well, they didn't create it. A a man named Tony Baxter was the lead Imagineer on the project. And it is super nostalgic and super fun. And what's so crazy about it is it was so popular when it first opened that they kept the park open for like 60 straight hours, six zero straight hours, because so many people wanted to ride it and they just kept the park open. I'd like to think that they do that again. But I don't know if they ever will. (laughs) But if you keep going to, I guess, just right across, actually, from Star Tours, 
is an attraction called Buzz Lightyear Astro Blasters. And this is my sister Nikki's favorite Disneyland attraction ever. It's so fun. You get in these little like spaceship things and they're almost like little flying saucers. And you each have a gun and you're going against someone in the attraction. And you have these guns that you shoot at the evil Emperor Zerg and all his little aliens and minions. And you get to keep score. And whoever has the highest score at the end, of course, wins, which is awesome. So we love Buzz Lightyear Astro Blasters. It is always a must when we go. Of course, another must is Space Mountain. That is the classic of classic Tomorrowland attractions. It's the indoor roller coaster in the dark, and you're riding through space, and it's awesome. And that was something that was really cool about the whole Space Mountain experience because it wasn't just an attraction. It was a story and it wasn't just a, you know, a big thrill ride roller coaster. It actually had a story with it where you're going into space on this mission. And that was something that set Space Mountain apart, which is really special and unique. Another one of my very favorite things in Tomorrowland at Disneyland is the Star Wars Launch Bay, which is an interactive, basically Star Wars museum. But it's really cool. They've uh, you you walk in and on the ground they've got like lights shooting through, and it feels like you're traveling in hyperspace and hyperspeed, and that's really cool. And sorry to all of the Star Wars enthusiasts if I accidentally say the wrong things like hyperspeed versus hyperspace. I apologize that I don't know what that means but I'm like in the world and I believe it and I'm there but anyway there are different miniatures there's like x-wings and tie fighters there is a like full-scale statue of a stormtrooper it's so cool and they've got all kinds of stuff in there there's a gift shop in there and it's just something really fun to go and walk through and see even though um Galaxy's Edge is on the other side of the park. It's cool that there's still a little bit of Star Wars in Tomorrowland, which I feel like is an appropriate place for it. And so that is, those are my highlights actually of Tomorrowland. There's always lots of churro stands, and I believe it's in Tomorrowland where you can get a turkey leg. So always a bonus there. Yeah, Tomorrowland is is super cool. It's always looking forward, imagining what could be ahead. And now it's become like this more timeless space where it could easily keep on aging out of itself because, you know, at first it was like space discovery and then space was more discovered. So it's like, okay, where do we go from there? And so now it it has this like retro type theme to it. And I think that that's really cool. You can blend the old with the new and uh, make for a really fun experience and also a very nostalgic experience. So now we're actually going to somewhat backtrack a little bit and go back to Main Street. So when you're looking at the castle and you look left right at the entrance of Disneyland, you're going to see the firehouse with that great lamp in the center window representing Walt being there in the parks. So if you go instead of left, you go right, you will go to a very classic Disneyland attraction, great moments with Mr. Lincoln. Now, Walt Disney 
uh, never showed restraint in <laughs> showing his admiration for Abraham Lincoln. He once dressed up for uh, or up as him at school one time talking about one of his role models. And he wanted to pay homage to a true American hero. And this attraction does just that. There is a short film explaining, obviously, his career and obviously his presidency. And then there's also part of the attraction where Abraham Lincoln gives a speech. And this was one of those like It's a Small World that was included in the New York World's Fair all those years ago. And people were amazed at the realistic touch of how Abraham Lincoln's animatronic looked. And people thought it was a real person up there. And it's uh, quite fascinating to... It's... It's more like a show than an attraction, but it's definitely a family fra- family favorite, excuse me, of ours. My dad is a big U.S. history nut, and as all U.S. history nuts are, he's a big fan of Abraham Lincoln as well. So we always make sure to make time to uh, experience this attraction while we're there as a family. And even in the waiting area of this attraction, it's kind of a mini museum. There's lots of photos of Walt Disney and Disneyland and even other people like Jim Henson. And it's it's a really unique spot. And sometimes what they'll do is they will display current films, movie props and costumes in there. And I remember one time when my sister and I went to Disneyland that they actually had the props and some, well, some of the props, costumes, and some concept art from Mary Poppins Returns in there. And I, man, I could have stayed in there all day just looking at those beautiful props. They had the kite, the kite (laughs) from Mary Poppins. And they had Mary Poppins carpet bag. And then one of the costumes that Emily Blunt wore on screen as Mary Poppins. And then just so many photos of concept art for the film. It was absolutely beautiful. So I had to make sure to include that quick little excerpt about great moments with Mr. Lincoln because that's really a underrated great spot in Disneyland. And we have now reached the end of our tour of Disneyland. And you see me maybe getting slightly emotional. Um, because I'm a little sad. (laughs) Uh, But that's usually how it goes, to be honest. And I've never, ever been happy to leave Disneyland. The one thing that encourages me every time I leave is that I just get to start looking forward to the next time I'll be there. And my sister can testify of this, that I usually on the plane flight home will begin planning my next Disneyland trip. (laughs) Just because... I I will be just immersed in that world anytime that I can. I cherish this place and the memories I've made there. I just love reminiscing on previous trips and sweet memories that I've made with my family. Like the time that I got engaged, that happened at Disneyland. There are just so many stories and times of my life and the, the highest of highs and the lowest of lows that I've I've been there and so it's it's something that I truly love to look back on but I also like to challenge myself to not look back for too long because there's so much ahead to look forward to Walt Disney once famously said this 
Around here, however, we don't look backwards for very long. We keep moving forward, opening up new doors and doing new things because we're curious. And curiosity keeps leading us down new paths. The magic of Disneyland is that it reminds me to stay who I am, curious and optimistic, a little goofy, <laughs> just like a little kid. I have the power every day to use my greatest imagination and experience the magic and wonder that's around me. All I have to do is open my eyes to see it. And if I get to the point where it's harder for me to remember that magic, then I know that it's time to go back to Disneyland. Oh, you ever just feel that sometimes? Just like a good old, just a deep breath. A sigh of relief. It's crazy to think we're already at the end of this episode together. And I just wanted to say a huge thank you to everyone who has joined me on this whole podcast journey, but especially this journey through my favorite place on earth. I hope for those who are Disneyland lovers that uh, this kind of scratched your itch of missing Disneyland, or even if you were at Disneyland yesterday, I hope that listening to this gave you a unique perspective of the happiest place on earth. And if you're someone who's never been to Disneyland, I hope that this kind of piqued your curiosity a little bit to see what all the magic is about. I am truly so grateful that you would join me on this part of the podcast journey. Magic through my eyes is just getting started and there is so much more magic for us to discover together. I hope that you'll join me back again next week because we've got some good stuff coming. I just want to say that I love you guys. Thank you for listening. And I hope that you have the most magical day. You are loved. You are cherished. And I'll see you real soon.